Hello and welcome to Just Make the Thing, a podcast of people who want to start a thing and keep on making it. I'm your host, Claire Tonti, and today I'm joined by my lawyer and yoga teacher friend, Chanel Luchev. Chanel just got back from seeing a play called The Fall, and I'll just explain a little bit about what this is about. In April 2015, a student revolution at the University of Cape Town rocked South Africa and made waves around the world. The movement sought to bring down the statue of colonialist Cecil Rhodes in protest of the white, Eurocentric cultural experience which dominated South African student life. Rising from the Rhodes Must Fall movement, this collaborative piece of theatre emerges from the heart of South Africa, written and performed by seven students who were involved in the uprising. Race, class, gender, sexism, colonialism and ideologies of patriarchy core to global conversations and interventions today are recounted in personal experiences and tackled head-on, seeking to unpack discrimination in all its forms. Chanel saw the fall on Friday night and had so much to say I got a barrage of texts straight afterwards. Not only is her heritage South African, but she recently came back from a trip there and her father is personally involved not with the play itself, but in the content of the play in his own history. So here's Chanel and I talking through the fall and amongst many other things too. Off we go. Hello, Chanel. <laughs> Hi, Hello, we're here. We're podcasting we on a Saturday morning. Yes. Yes, we were just having a really interesting chat, actually. This, <laughs> this is, happens every bloody time. It does, I know. We're going to get on to some interesting things. You're going to review mm. a play that mm-hmm. you went to see, mm-hmm. and you also had some interesting points about The West Wing slash The Good Fight, I two did. excellent TV shows that we'll get to as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to talk to you about my learning around making some cupcakes yes. from last week. Excellent. <laughs> yes, but before that, we were talking a little bit about how to navigate the world when you are an empathetic person yes. or slash a deep thinking person, I yeah, guess. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I want to make stuff. And I was telling you that it would be really great if I could go to Kmart or Target and just <laughs> buy my son some toys and not think deeply about the about the fact that they're so cheap, which means it's probably child slave labor <laughs> or something. And then the fact that, and then come home in like a really deep trough of existential yeah. crisis about the world and my role in it. Um, and, I, and I'm so glad because then you talked about tennis balls. Yes. Well, yes. I was just, I was just saying that I went and bought a um, big bag of tennis balls for some, um, uh, connective tissue release classes that I was running um, at work. And for yoga. For yoga. Lor- just, just, God, that would be much more fun <laughs> than some of this other stuff I have to do and um, how cheap they were. And then I thought about all the poor little factory hands that had to like make these tennis balls so I could buy them at such a massive discount. Yeah. And uh, my husband, whilst being an empath- empathic person, also – was just a bit confused about my statement. And he was just like, why would you say something like that? Like, why would your brain automatically jump there? Yeah. And, but then I also think, because I've been looking a lot recently at Glennon Doyle's writing. Mm-hmm. So um, she's got a book called Love Warrior and I follow her on Instagram and she's a great one to follow if you're a creative person slash empathetic slash maybe slightly bonkers. Yeah. <laughs> just- I think people that are em- empathic and somewhat um, intelligent tend to be bonkers. Yeah, because the world is insane. Yeah, it's not. Right? It's never. Um, I think sometimes we see the world in terms of the binary, like night and day, and mm. 
light and shadow and things like that, light and shade, I think it Mm. is, men and women. But generally there's always room for the – well, there is always room for the grey and empathic people often see everything in grey, which can be really overwhelming. Yes, and confusing and hard. And and so you can hold – like many things at once in your brain, which is like, I need to get some toys for my son. Yes. And that's a good thing because I want him to do some hands-on learning and play, yes. which actually on this, on a side note, if you're a parent, play is one of the most important gifts you can give your child. Testify. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, testify. <laughs> okay. That's a whole nother topic mm. about building resilience and brain development. Anyway, so that's what mm. I wanted to do. And came out had these brilliant sort of play kitchen stuff that I was, mm. I got and they were awesome. And so on one hand, I'm trying to do the best I can to be the best parent that I can and give a gift to my son. And then on the other hand, I'm thinking, first up, is this too many things? Am I spoiling him? Am I going to turn him into a terrible human because I'm giving him gifts? It's not even his birthday. And then I started thinking, but then also I better not spend too much money because, you know, he's, you know, I don't want to, you know, overly spoil him, but these are quite reasonably priced because they're from Kmart. So excellent. And then on the other hand, then you start thinking, well, why are they reasonably priced? Oh, the world is coming to an end and I'm just standing in an aisle in Kmart. Under fluorescent lights with a big trolley. Having a panic attack. Having a panic attack. <laughs> and and, but, and at the, like at one point I know, just calm down, Claire, just get the toys, you know, it's okay, it's, that's what life is, it's normal, don't worry. Mm. But then on the other hand, and this is kind of going back to what Glennon Doyle was saying, it's true. We need to be responsible shoppers. We mm. need to be thinking about where the products that we buy come from if we want the world to change and be more equitable. Yeah. So I find the world really hard. Yes. And 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 then I also think, well, what an arsehole am I because I am very privileged Yeah. and live in a really comfortable house and I'm like, the world is hard. <laughs> Why? It's hard because it's hard for other people? Yeah. I don't know where I land. I don't no, know. No, well, I mean – it's interesting you say that, like when you sit there and get con- you start to contemplate the things that frustrate you, mm. because you do tend to get stuck in your own kind of Thought personal loops. misery about yeah. things which are essentially, and I don't mean to be insulting, but essentially frivolous. Like mm. it is okay for you to want to give your child something good that's going to educate him and help him grow. It is okay to not to be sensible about the amount of money you spend on that thing that you want to buy for your child. It is also okay to worry about the impact that your behavior has on the world. I think that's what conscientious people should do. So it's okay to have all those concerns. It's how do you reconcile them in your head and like be internally at peace and not have a conniption. I mean, I've certainly not figured it out. And to anyone that has, if you could just let us know, that would be awesome. We'd really appreciate it. Just, just, just the big, just not bit, not like a overly big question. No. Just how do you contemplate your existence and your place in the world and function as a human being? Well, because last, last. <laughs> Sorry. It's fine. Because last night we went out um, after work. Um, Gordon and I just went out for dinner, like a casual dinner. It was his birthday yesterday. And I decided to bring up um, the play that I'd seen, which I guess is probably a convenient time to go into now. And, like, I spent maybe 30 minutes of what was meant to be a lovely romantic casual dinner talking about oppression and how um, sexism still existed and what the what was going on with the patriarchy. And then we started talking about political systems and how racism still exists. And he's like, this is very intense for like a Friday night dinner. <laughs> 
sometimes I, and then I'm like, now I just feel like useless because I worry about stuff that is really on the scheme of things, not that important, but kind of important to me. I don't know. So, um, I'll just step back for a second and talk about the play that I saw. Um, it's called The Fall and it's in Melbourne for another couple of days. I assume it's touring Australia. That would be my guess. And it's basically there is there are a few monuments and there are three main monuments that are sort of all over Africa, I think, and one of them is to this colonialist by the name of Cecil Rhodes who allegedly dis- has discovered all these places in Africa which have obviously existed long before like the white man has come along and col- colonized them but he is everywhere and he's also in a progressive university um, at UCT and basically the student representative council see this monument as as racist which it is because For anyone who doesn't know about the apartheid regime, I don't want to go into a lot of detail about it, but it's just like systematic racial segregation of people and you had certain rights and certain freedoms based on the colour of your skin and your race and one of those rights as a white person was access to better education, university education, which obviously allows you to have a better lifestyle, a better life. So they have these discussions about um, this monument, how offensive it is to them and for various reasons, how would they go about taking it down because um, effectively internationally there is a bit of rhetoric that like there's still an ideology that a lot of black people are seen as savages and like if we go and cut it down ourselves, does that mean that we're playing to the stereotype that people think we are? But if we keep having these negotiations with the university, then are we just pandering to the system and the system that's oppressed us and has not actually helped us? And I should probably also point out that this took place in 2015. So not, you're not like, not like 30 years ago, like three years ago, this monument still existed um, like three years ago. So there's all this discussion about how to go about doing it. And they talk about their history and the history of oppression and, how it impacts them and that this monument is basically a symbolic of that. And they they go about doing it the, I guess, what would be considered to be the legal and more appropriate way, diplomatic way. And what happens at one point is like there's like a town hall meeting. So all of the student representatives, they get a chance to speak in this public forum and then a whole bunch of other issues get aired. And what happens is the, at the risk of kind of ruining the story, like the monument gets taken down, but the most important part is like all the stuff that happens around it. So this, this group of students, young people band together to fight this, this racism. And then once that symbol of that racism is removed, it also, it opens the door for discussions about sexism and patriarchy and then people that are non-binary so don't necessarily identify with a particular kind of gender and all the various kinds of oppression and discrimination that exists on the campus. And it was so impressive and so like emotive that I was like, I got a bit emotional during the um, play and my um, father used to be a university academic and so I think he was quite affected by it. But all, I mean, all mm. in a good way, there are these just really intelligent discussions about 
issues and um, and he was in South Africa as an academic yes yeah. exactly and so one of the things I brought up was you know why in our university um, are most of the academic staff white why are um, certain privileges given to certain types of courses over others and how institutional racism exists through like through wealth so even mm. though we have a takedown of a, essentially what was a very racist regime you've got all of the hangover uh what's his name the famous guy that's on the daily show now Trevor uh, Noah yes Trevor Noah so I read his book last year well, well this year while I was away and he talks about this thing called the black tax I think we might have brought it up before yeah. but effectively how black people start off with so much discrimination that they're already behind and they're spending their entire lives trying to catch up and that exists in the university and you know my father being not a white person and an academic I was like wow that is so incredible like you kind of forget that you know your family is your family but they've also done these really impressive things Mm. historically and so I was so impressed by it I think I sent you like a thousand text messages like oh my god I just saw the best thing I don't know what to do and I couldn't even articulate myself and so I emailed them and I mean I haven't I don't think I haven't heard from them yet but I was so and I've never done that I'm not the kind of person like I just really liked your book like I wouldn't do that but I was so impressed by it I just wrote them this very long email and said I think your story is important and it was so powerful and I think people need to hear it and especially in Australia where there's a lot of ignorance about Africa and African culture and yeah if there's any opportunity to ever speak to you or be involved in what you're doing please let me know because I want to do something and then after I sent the email I was quite proud of myself and then I felt really depressed about my lack of ability to do anything useful like as an individual woman in Australia (laughs) so you talk about this I want to be conscientious a conscientious parent I'm like why am I not achieving things as a woman? This is, I'm so like, like mediocre. Like, oh, oh God. Oh, says the woman who is currently talking about all of these issues on a podcast and, and emailing them to try and do, have an interview and to bring them up more and also a lawyer as well as having South African heritage with these incredible parents and doing so well. You were doing, what else could you freaking be doing? Unless well, I was like, maybe, I'm like, maybe I could become an actor. Do you reckon that would just take ring-ins? I could get up there and perform. I could get, like, the thing is these, I'm pretty sure, I don't want to be quoted on this, but I'm pretty sure these students lived through this experience because, as I said before, it was 2015. So whether they were at the protests when they were happening or in and around the space at the time, I don't know, but they were so emotional about it to the point where one of the lead characters actually started weeping, like, at the end. Because she was like, I want the world to change. I want um, my vision of South Africa to be one that is in, like, which has, you know, no free of discrimination and is um, embraces like all people of all races and colors and sexes and creeds and identifies in all different ways. Because I think we we kind of, as I said, we see the world as binary in many cases Mm, everyone's in categories everyone's in categories and what about all those people that don't squarely fit into a category Mm -hmm. and so this is the stuff that I was talking about with Goran at our casual romantic (laughs) dinner last night (laughs) and I was like I said you know part of me kind of feels conflicted because 
I, you know, I obviously have African heritage, but I also have white heritage. So, like, I am the epitome of a permanently confused person. <laughs> like, I don't know how to identify with either. Maybe that's why I see so much grey because I am grey. <laughs> like, you, you are the product of the grey because <laughs> yeah. you don't fit into yeah. those, like, sort of binary groups yeah. or something. Which is, like, is Trevor Noah the same? Yes. Is he talking about yes, that Yes, he's a Swiss, half Swiss. And I think his mother is Kosa or Bantu or something. I can't quite mm. remember, but he is exactly that. And he is another person that can talk about politics and race in a way that's so intelligent and funny that it's palatable. Mm. I mean, and this play was funny in parts, but it was more just emotional and moving for the most part. Mm. And as I said, I left with this real feeling of mediocrity. <laughs> Which, you, which I mean, but yeah. then again, that's how you felt. Yeah. So that's cool. Yeah. Everyone's allowed to feel the way yeah. they feel. That's cool. But I do think that you are doing a lot. Oh, thanks. But, it, but also you're right. It's amazing to go and see something mm. that moves you to the point where you think, okay, what am I going to do next? Yeah. What's, what's, the, what's the thing that I can put into action? And then you actually did something. Often people go and see a thing and cry or a film and cry and mm. then the next minute they're at their Friday night dinner talking about that annoying person at work, you know, yeah. or something. Yeah. So it goes back to being that empathetic person, doesn't yeah. it, really? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Why do you think that maybe coming from a mixed race heritage gives you a different perspective or do you think it gives you a different um, perspective than if you were one or the other? Um, I think it's just because you have absolute, you have no option but to see the grey. You have no option but to look at different perspectives because in some ways you are disadvantaged and also um, by, by being, you know, part of one particular group and you're also being given the advantage of being one particular group. And the other thing um, is – Technically, I would not have been classified as a black person. I would have been a coloured person and I would have been entitled to more rights than a black person if I was living over there at that time. So I do, like I, even though um, we certainly, like my family didn't enjoy the privileges of white, of being white, they didn't, they also didn't have that extreme discrimination of being black and having absolutely nothing, you know. So I think that certainly gives me, just it just gives me that perspective on on the fact that nothing is ever as straightforward as it seems mm. and there's always complexity in ideas and issues and and actually interestingly one of the um actors in the play so she talks about the difficulty she has growing up and she's you, when you see her in comparison to the other characters she's quite light skinned and one of the actors actually comes in he's like well what would you know you know you're not really black like me. And then she like loses her shit. Like, and, and I can't, I think some of it is obviously scripted, but I think some of it is coming from somewhere. It can't not come from somewhere. And she's like, wait a minute. I grew up in a township, which is, you know, a poorer part, obviously a much poorer part of the country. Um, I'm also a woman. I'm also queer. So before you sit there and talk to me about your difficulty, hold on a second, here are all of the other layers of disadvantage and difficulty I experience in my life. Yeah, to me, I think it's just, I think also being a woman, you kind of, you have this inherent disadvantage. You look at the world differently. You can't help but mm. not do that. And so you're already placed in a position of of difficulty or, yeah. or, or one step back. 
Yeah. Already. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess on some level I can appreciate that. And I think similarly to you being an empathic person, you want to be able to understand opinions and ideas that seem unreasonable. Mm. Yeah. And rationalize them in your head. And what you'd like is for one side to speak to the other side with respect and understand each other because mm. you can do that, but not everyone else can, not no. everyone can do that. No. And this brings me back to what Glennon Doyle said recently in just like an Instagram story. Yeah. Which I have been really loving because she, people ask her questions and she has a big Christian right wing following. Yeah. Um, and, and she's she, Christian herself. She yeah. she is. Yeah, she was married. Now she's divorced and gay. So she ended up. Did that go down? Not very well. Well, this is what's so interesting. So it has mm-hmm. because and and she's really leading thought and kind of pushing boundaries on it because she fell in love with. She wrote her first book, the oh, second book, Love mm-hmm. Warrior, about the breakdown of her marriage mm-hmm. um, and then how they kind of rebuilt it at the end. But it's mu- once when I read it, it's much more more complex than that. She doesn't finish the book necessarily saying they'll stay together. Yeah. But she was sort of shocked very openly about her struggles with drug addiction and yep. and one of the reasons she comes to understand she was struggled with drug addiction was that she was such an empathetic person. She found the world to be a really hard place to be because yeah. I think when you really think deeply about everything, you suddenly see all of the injustice and all of the difficulty yeah. and you kind of can internalise that. Oh, absolutely. You know, I think, yeah. think some people can suffer under the weight of it yes, as yeah. well. I said, like there's so much terrible stuff happening and I can't do anything exactly, about it. Exactly, exactly. And so she said the first half of her life, she was her sensitivity made mm-hmm. her life so difficult that all she wanted to do was drink away all of it, the pain, eat away. Like she had like eating disorders and oh, all kinds of things to try and block that. And yep. it made me suddenly think about people with addiction differently mm. because I realised that, I mean, everyone's story is different, but if you're carrying so much pain that you do whatever you can to numb it. Yeah. And so maybe those people struggling with addiction and, you know, all kinds of things, they're the people with those really sensitive sonars out there seeing the world as it is and finding it really difficult. And not, you know, every there's complexity in every story. Of course, yeah. But So that kind of struck a chord with me. And I, I mean, I was nowhere near extreme in that way, but I used to just, I'd use food in that way. Yeah. I will eat. Like if I'm, yeah. if I am so, like last night I ate half a tub of ice cream. So I was like, <laughs> my life, I can't handle it anymore. <laughs> Everything go away. And I watched like stupid romantic comedies mm. and ate a whole tub of ice cream so that I didn't have to think about, you know, the complexity of things mm. because you're, you just, ne- and that's why I think as a kid and Glennon Doyle talks about how much she loved TV. Yep. And I know you're the same. Oh, yeah. And it's because it's the only real thing. I, I mean, meditation and exercise mm. help, but really TV just switches my brain. Like just goes, yep. switches it off. And I don't have to think anymore yep. for a bit, just for a bit. I can put all of my thinking on how I can help the world aside or am I doing yep. enough or am I enough or um, all the sadness that's happening and all the fight and just go and watch something stupid and it's yeah. you can like disappear, and that's what reading when I was a kid for me was yeah. as well, like disappearing into books and into um, TV and films. So all of that, talking, going back to Glennon Doyle, she mm. said one thing 
recently on Instagram, she doesn't even really identify herself as gay. She identifies herself as being in love with her partner, Abby, who's a professional soccer player. And she just fell head over heels for her in a way that she'd never felt for anyone before. And she talks about her sexuality as just being as being Abby, her partner. Yeah. And she said, because I'm sick of us putting ourselves in boxes and labels Mm. and we just need to meet each other human to human. Yeah. And try and, and unfortunately we've sort of spent centuries dividing ourselves up into left and right and gay or straight mm. or black or white mm-hmm. or, you know. Right or, and wrong, us and them. Yeah, us and them and mm. then kind of in these weird tribal lines mm. that don't aren't actually anything because no. if you just meet a human person and you meet a human person together, you have both had experiences that are very different. Like you could meet another person from South Africa of mixed heritage with a completely different set of values and beliefs. Yeah, to you. absolutely. Different experiences, different, you know, complexity of like even last week I interviewed Taco Mbudzi, who mm-hmm. was, she's amazing. It's a really cool interview to go and listen to on some of this stuff. But I made assumptions about her before I met her, mm-hmm. which I, I, had to think about afterwards because I assumed for some reason, because she talked about living in Zimbabwe and she mm-hmm. moved out here when she was 19 by herself. And I assumed that she lived in a village. I just assumed in yeah. my head. Because when, li- when I lived in Tanzania, I lived in a village or just outside a village. And so I just... You assumed that. Yeah. I just assumed. And I asked her about her childhood and she mentioned, some, mentioned, you know, when she goes back to Zimbabwe, the chickens and stuff. So I just assumed, okay, she lived in a village. Mm. And then when I asked her about it and talked, I realized... She actually grew up in a very middle-class family <laughs> in like a city in yeah. Zimbabwe and her parents were academics mm. and she kind of grew up in and went to school in an international school with a lot of white kids mm. and, you know, quite wealthy families and it wasn't until she moved to Australia that she suddenly saw this other side of Africa. Yeah. So, I mean, she did say that her parents would go to villages to give charity and drop off food and... And she didn't really understand why they were doing that at the time. Yeah. And it wasn't until she came here in Australia and saw this other view view of Africa that we maybe sometimes hold. Yeah. And I just sort of thought, oh my God, Claire, check your check your assumptions. Yeah. You I know, think I mean you know? you, I think sometimes like you can't help but do that with all sorts of things. Mm. And one and concepts and ideas and races and things that are completely foreign to us in every sense. You only go on your previous understanding, but the best thing you can do is speak to that person and and try and get to know them, understand them, as you said, meet them human to human. Mm. And it just makes – it opens your eyes, right? And then it makes you see the (laughs) grey. I know. Like, yeah. And then you have to go watch TV. Yeah. <laughs> and the other, actually, I was going to say, time. when you were talking about TV, the one, the other thing good about TV is mm-hmm. that all the complex problems are solved in a 30-minute to one-hour episode. <gasps> I love <exactly>. yeah. <laughs> I love that. Even when the major problems happen, yep. somehow generally they resolve. It's quite impressive. I know. It's like CSI. I was like, how do they solve those really complicated murders <laughs> so quickly in 45 minutes? <laughs> It's so it's convenient in bite-sized chunks. It's almost like someone designed it that way. I swear as a kid, I, I actually thought that TV was just another world. 
So where did people I. lived. Like I really Yeah, when did. I was little I assumed that people that were shot or killed in movies had some kind of terminal disease, so it was okay to kill them. <laughs> <laughs> Until they appeared again in another movie and then it was very confusing. <laughs> I know, that's what I always didn't understand when one person could be another person that got me confused. <laughs> One time when I saw Noni from Play School on Better Homes and Gardens, that really threw me. I was like, what is happening? Oh, my God, Noni, no, you only live in Play School land. Play School, for anyone who doesn't know, is a kid's show on our kind of equivalent of the BBC. Anyway, I know it's life is hard. That's the other thing Gwen and Doyle says a lot. Okay, mm-hmm. This isn't an Oprah episode. This is mm. a Glennon episode. Um, she says we can do hard things. That's her kind of mantra. Yeah. And I just love that. I've been saying that to myself other than the whole are you being kind to yourself, Claire, thing, which I ask quite regularly. That's the other thing I've been saying. We can do hard things. And hard things is holding more than one thing to be true, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's holding the grey and being able to live in the grey. Yeah. Live with the discomfort. Find ease in that discomfort somehow. Yeah. Kind of just let let yourself go with it right Mm. like you just have to accept it Mm. and this is yoga right yeah well I mean the idea is to perceive the world as it is not not like particularly overly positive or overly negative exactly Mm. as you see it Mm. that's the that's the struggle that is the struggle yeah this is a deep question Mm. what do you think about the whole yin and yang idea like the whole there's to have positive you have to have negative Mm. what do you think about that um do you mean in your life like as in yeah or just in the world in general like sometimes I think of the world as having to have equal amounts of positive and negative oh yeah to kind of exist like there's that balance that you know in nature there's sort of death and destruction and growth and light and there seems to be equal amounts of both and sometimes this is way too deep. Oh God. Mm. But sometimes I wonder if the depth of suffering that people go through, you know, there's also the other side of it, which is the light and the joy. Yeah. And you kind of have to have both. Yeah, absolutely. And just because I think just because you have all of the, the material wealth or the superfluous stuff that we are made to think makes us happy doesn't mean that we're truly happy and there's the adage that poor people can be some of the happiest people because there is simplicity in their lives and they see Mm. they take the joy from their loved ones and the people around them and the experiences rather than the stuff Mm. so because actually it's very interesting you raise that because we had this um, philosophical discussion in one of my classes once when I was doing my yoga course and people were like the world is like so basically the, the 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 theory is the world is as it should be you know it's exactly as it should be it shouldn't be any other way except the fact that things are the way they are and you'll be at peace and people are like but what about babies dying and what about terrorism and what about war and what about all of these what about human suffering and he was like yes that all exists but it doesn't necessarily mean like suffering means different things to different people Mm -hmm. and just because we perceive something as suffering doesn't mean it means that to someone else so yeah I would completely agree I think there is Mm. definitely the world is constantly struggling for this balance this level of balance and I think in life personally 
um, there are highs and there are lows and like things will, things will feel awful for a while and then they'll get better and then they might get a bit crap again and they'll get better. So I think we're always kind of swinging and what we're trying to aim for is that kind of, you know, state of balance. Yeah. Yeah. What I find hard, and this is where, this is the whole need to eat ice cream, watch TV thing that happens Uh in my brain. (laughs) Because this is, because I sort of believe that. I think that, yes, definitely. I actually not sort of, I do. Mm. But then I also think about the state of the world and Mm. that saying that bad things happen when good people do nothing. Yeah. And I think about war and you know and advocacy for women for example Mm. or advocacy for refugees which Mm -hmm. is one of the biggest global crisis facing our generation Mm -hmm. other than climate change and you know Mm. all of those things what how does that fit in with like us needing to progress things in a positive way and improve the state of things because if we just sit in our, yeah. on our yoga mat and say, well, such is life. Mm. Yeah. And then we <laughs> never do anything. Yeah, yeah. Because that's life. Then then things can kind of descend into Trump mania. Yeah, you know? yeah. Yeah, no, I totally and, agree. And those yep. people that need our advocacy and need our support, you know, apartheid would never have changed. Changed. Yeah, been overthrown. No, yeah, and I would agree with that. I think, I think maybe that theory is – applicable to the world around us in that like you can't go around changing other people they have to want to change themselves mm-hmm. so accepting the world as it is is also accepting your personality and your individuality for what that is and if you are the kind of person that is a change maker then that is the state of balance and that is the present time and that is the world as it's meant to be mm-hmm. so those people that are going around like changing things for what you and I perceive to be the better are living their truth just as Mm. the people that are not necessarily doing anything, I guess, are also living their truth Mm. and having to be okay in that space. In that space. Because isn't that the thing that Mm. that whole thing Liz Gilbert talks about, that call, that idea that you – Oh, well, Oprah says this too. There is a calling on your life, yeah. that she says. And I mean, no, look, this can all get very kind of, I don't know, it's not everyone's cup of tea, no. this kind of chat. But I do I do really feel that internally. Well, that watching the fall, your play, and then sort of you sitting there going, okay, what can I do? In a way, that's a call, isn't it? It's, yeah. It's well, I mean, of, I yeah. even contemplated, and this is like certainly – not anything that I plan to go and do tomorrow (laughs) (laughs) as we both like to do. I'm going to change the world tomorrow. Um, But I was like, you know what? The world needs passionate people. The world needs uncomfortable discussions. The world needs people to push other people's buttons and bring out that um, things that are, I guess, are other, other otherwise repressed Mm. and I was like who does that who are the people that get an opportunity to talk about this issue and there's lots of those kinds of people but I was like maybe I could do something politically myself and I was like well what what would I do I'm like well I don't want to be prime minister that seems like a very stressful job and it's short it's only a short-term employment plan true (laughs) true so I'm referring to the job security (laughs) yeah job security in the prime ministership of Australia (laughs) is a very short term and if you happen to be friends with the prime minister well your role is tenuous too yeah yeah Um, exactly I like state politics unfortunately for me I believe in democracy and I believe in big government but I also don't know 
I think I've been in the public service for too long to necessarily feel passionate enough to drive myself to do that. But I was like, you know what I could do? Maybe I could be like Leslie Nope and go and try and work in a council and go and work in my community and try and change the smaller issues. And like, and then I looked up a whole bunch of counselors. I was like, well, that guy's a chiropractor. What more does he know about politics than me? I'm like, I could do this. And then I was like, maybe that, maybe that's something I could do in the next 10 to 15 years. If someone else can do it, why can't I do it? So that was where my train of thought went. And it might be nothing. Like I might, maybe tomorrow I, I might change my mind entirely, but at least those uncomfortable discussions or those things that make you think, um, those experiences that you have and make you think can drive the change as well. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I was like, very, very moved. But like, I don't get moved by many things. I think I've just become so cynical, but um, I was just, yeah, I was like, I need to do something tonight. <laughs> I was like, what am I going to do? I don't know. I'll text Claire. She'll care about this. <laughs> I deeply care about it. I'm trying to see it. I want to see it on Sunday. I'm trying really hard to get to see it. I just, because it's Father's Day anyway, it's a whole other discussion. Yeah. But yeah, no, I think that's a brilliant idea. Mm. Yeah. So I was thinking about this recently too, mm. because you can't, I mean, I've sort of got to the point where I think, well, I'm always complaining about mm. This stat, the standard of our politicians in this country mm. and clearly globally and how there's not enough representation of women and mm. there's not enough um, advocacy for things that really matter, for education, for women and children. And then I think, well, if, well, if you want something to change, you can't, Obama says that too, you can't wait around for someone else to do it, mm. right? Because maybe the hero that you're waiting for is you, Chanel. Oh, I love that. But that is- it's true. But it's, totally true. it's totally true. So if yeah. we want to see more representation. We have to be that representation. Yeah, yeah unfortunately. <laughs> oh, I'm so tired though. Maybe they could take two of us as one elected representative and we could just part-time it. We could tag team. Yeah, that would work. That would make life that easier would be for brilliant. both of us. Yeah. They should do that. We more should. women would get into politics if you could job share. Oh, amazing. <laughs> I'm serious. That's a brilliant idea. Surely isn't it a job. You could do that in teaching all the time. Yeah, you could. You could totally do that. And that's the thing. It's kind of like these very strict binary ideas about the way a politician is meant Mm -hmm. to be. You can challenge that. Yes. And fight against the The institution. Well, were you saying that the whole difference between the um, Trump administration internship, which is pretty much all white and male, and then Obama's internship, which was diverse and sort of 50-50 black American, yeah. um, lots of women, lots of women. And isn't it that that's the idea that you legitimately can just see it when you have more people in positions of power that mm. are of diverse backgrounds, you mm. then have more decisions being made for the benefit of diverse backgrounds. <laughs> well, well no, it's true. I mean, one of my, um, like one of, one of the very senior people in government that I work for, she didn't have this conversation with me, but she had it with a friend of mine who similarly just feels crushed under the weight of the terrible things <laughs> happening in the world. Cause we always talk about it. Like, why is everything so terrible? She was seriously considering like, should I be staying in government? I came into government for a particular reason. It's just, it's not what it's worked out to be. I feel quite depressed by my inability to change 
change things. And what she said was to be able to make the change, you have to be in the tent. So effectively, if you want to change government, be in government because if you you can be an external agitator and there is that one opportunity in a lifetime, often tragedy needs to happen. So, for example, all the family violence policy that came about in with this state term of government came about because of one um, one little boy that was brutally murdered and his mother was like, you know what, I'm going to advocate for this. This cannot happen mm, anymore. Rosie Batty. Uh, yeah. So she is an example of an external agitator, advocate, whatever it is that you like to call it, that's managed to really um, create change in government and in the way that we look at, you know, see things. And four years ago, there weren't ads on TV that would address domestic violence and about respectful behaviour. That didn't exist. And now that's the thing that regularly appears. So she's managed to do it, but it's few and far in between. So if you really want to make change you got to be there. Mm. And that's the thing I keep reminding myself every time I feel like, I guess, cynical or disappointed with the way that things can sometimes turn out is, well, at least I'm trying on yes. some level yeah, and absolutely. I'm being present. So, yeah, I would agree. I would agree. To create, to have the diversity, someone needs to be the diverse person. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> Someone does, right? <laughs> to be more, to have more women in office, yeah. there needs to be more women getting into office. <laughs> Unfortunately, I think what is hard about it, uh, from mm. my perspective, and I've thought on this a lot, mm. um, yeah, is that for starters, being a politician seems like a terrible way to raise a family, yeah. to live your life because you of the work hours of needing to be mm-hmm. in Canberra all the time. You're constantly mm-hmm. flying. Mm-hmm. It seems to be a very toxic environment, mm. very backstabby. All the things that you believe in, they seem to have to compromise mm. on so that they can get things done. Yep. It seems very fake yep. and very boys clubby yep. and nasty and backstabby. I'm sure all of those things are true. Exactly. I'm sure they're all true. Yeah. yeah. And, and you sort of think, well... But then again, Jacinda Ardern, who's the Prime Minister of New Zealand, just she is just so inspiring and yeah. and obviously very, very competent and great at her job. And mm. I look at her and I think, well, how did you get into power? Mm. How did you manage to navigate all of the all of that? Mm. Um, she is also. Know. I mean, she was she wasn't the first female leader in that's in true. New Zealand. That's true. So someone else has paved the way and has created a situation where diversity is – I'm sure that there is discrimination, but diversity is more acceptable, and that's mm. happened over a long period of time. That's true. Um, and they have a very different culture around the Maori yeah. um, treaty and how yeah. they, they – rather than it being a takeover, which is what happened to these just people in Australia yeah. and atrocities, they kind of came to a treaty and resolution. So, yep. you know, they, the Maori have quite – a um, significant role in their parliament and language yep. and culture. And so it seems to be, I guess it's a small, small country too and a much more progressive place. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, I mean, the other thing too is that there is no, there is no reason why you can't start to change the way that people think about things and look at things and view the world, but you have to be active in mm. that space in order to do it. Yeah. Cause do you reckon that often, what ends up getting people into politics is because they are extreme 
of one side or another. Yep. And so that middle kind of moderate ground that I would say the majority of Australians and probably mm. the majority of, say, the US as mm. well, yep. kind of live in a moderate middle ground where they might lean slightly right or slightly left, but they're very reasonable. Well, if, I mean, effectively, that's why Malcolm Turnbull was ousted from the mm. prime ministership because he was too moderate in his yeah thinking. he was sort of in the middle yeah yeah yes I do I think I think to be able to be heard sometimes those extreme voices like get more get more attention because the rest yeah. of the world is like oh but this is the way that things are and aren't we trying to get along and then there's one person screaming no we shouldn't no we should shut people out or or like the other extreme end of things like let's give everyone everything you know yeah, like that exactly. doesn't work close either. all the coal mines tomorrow yeah, yeah, and then yeah. if thousands of people lose their jobs yeah. and the economy yeah is in a difficult place so yeah. yeah i totally agree but it's the right and the left those big extremes of people mm. that are on the Twitters and the Facebooks and the mm. trolling Instagram and Twitters <laughs> yelling at people and mm. the vast majority of people just don't say anything. I mean, yeah. I've never commented anything negative on anyone's page. No, and you nor know? would I. I just no. wouldn't look at it anymore. I know. I very <laughs> rarely even say nice. I mean, I guess I say nice things occasionally. I don't even give negative restaurant reviews because no. I feel bad about it. <laughs> Do you mean that? Or Airbnb? I'm always like five stars. <laughs> You know, just it would have to be really terrible. So I guess that's the thing, isn't mm. it? But then this is, I yeah, I think you would make a brilliant um, advocate in I local government. I think you would too. Thanks, mate. I think we should really put something to them about job sharing. I feel like there's something in this. I feel like there is Maybe too. that is our extreme position. We do not, we want to be able to maintain lives and families. We also want to give back to the community. We could be two-for-one deal. Yeah. <laughs> Are you constitutionally allowed to do that? Can you job share? Well, I mean, I think local councils, local councils probably don't, wouldn't have constitutions. They would probably have legislation enacting how things are meant to happen, but... You can change the law, Claire. Right. I've done it like seven times in my job. I think we might have just hit the nail on the head <laughs> for how women can get into politics. <laughs> just if we can job share. Mm. I'm going to ask. I'm going to. I'm going to ask some political friends of mine. Yes, and Let's, just see is that possible? Because that that would change things. Imagine if, like, so you have to be in Canberra all the time. Say this is federal politics, mm. but you could job share it. So you both represent the same house, like seat. Yep. So you could just pop in and out. You could share it around. Oh, brilliant. Mm. Well, we'll see. Who yeah. knows? We've, we we've, could be laughed at by all the political, like, I'm sure there's some, like, out constitutional there. thing where you can't have, like, <laughs> two people representing one seat. I'm sure that's a thing. But you know what? The Constitution also never used to recognise Indigenous people as human beings. Mm-hmm. Women never had the right to vote up until recently. Gay people couldn't get married. Domestic violence was seen as a private problem mm, and not yeah. a public one. Rape in marriage. Mm-hmm. Legal. Mm-hmm. Up until very, not that recently, but mm. fairly recently. So, you know, there you lots go. of things can change there because we're go. change makers, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> so if you are out there and you are a change maker, it's okay. Eat some ice cream, watch some TV, mm. and then go back to doing some hard things. Yeah. Yeah, I and love then it. yeah, so you just have to be kind to yourself, right? Yes, yes, yeah, exactly. In whatever form that takes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Are we done? I think so. What was the name of the play? Just to the remind play is called The Fall, and okay. it's at the moment it's at the Art Centre and it's um, at the Baxter Theatre, I think. Mm, until Sunday, it's only on until tomorrow night. 
Yeah. I hope it's touring though. I hope so too. Yeah. I mean, the, I mean, the theatre company is South African, so they're definitely, I mean, they're touring Melbourne, so hope, I'm hoping it goes to other parts of Australia yeah. too. Okay. Well, I'll put a link to it in the show notes below. <sighs> okay, everyone. Thanks for uh, thanks yeah. for that. I feel like that was really valuable. Discussion. That was quite cathartic. I feel better. Thank so you for listening, I. everyone <laughs> and Claire. Yeah, thank you. No, it was really good. Yeah. It is because when you're trying, it's really hard when you're trying to make things or change things, mm. isn't it? Which is all about this just make the thing. Mm. It's just get out and do something mm. rather than do anything. Nothing. Send them like a fangirl email, which is what oh, I want to. I hope they write back. Oh, Hopefully yeah. next time we chat, they've written back and we can read the letter. Yeah. <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> okay. Sounds good. Okay. okay. Chat to you next week. All right. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to a podcast by me, Claire Twenty, and Chanel Luchev. Uh, for more information on the four, you can follow the link in the show notes below. And to find more podcasts from our Planet Broadcasting Network, you can go to planetbroadcasting.com. I am on Instagram at Claire Twenty or on Twitter at Mrs. Sunday Movies. And Chanel is over at Bend Yoga Melbourne on Instagram. If you would like to email the show and we'd love you to tell us what you're making out there, you can contact us at justmakethethingpod at gmail.com. And as well, if you'd still like to donate to our Care Australia campaign for vulnerable women and girls around the world, you can also follow the link in the show notes. Uh, The Everyday Hero page is over there. I think that's all this week. Oh, follow and subscribe to us in iTunes. If you want to do us a favor, that would be amazing. And chuck us a rating and a review. That always helps us um, to get our show discovered. Tell a mate about us. We would love you too. Okay, have a wonderful week. Uh, Keep on just making those things and listening to people with different perspectives. I think it's always really valuable and be kind to yourself. That's my advice. Okay, till next time. Bye.